hear the greatest story given to you and to me. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a great sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Good evening, everybody. It's great to see you and welcome you to Providence Church. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here, and as Mark said, this is a night we've been looking forward to for some time, and we are so thankful that you're here and to share it with us. If you're a guest here with us, we just want to say welcome, and uh, I guess a little bit more than that, just to say you're always uh, welcome here. Um, This season is about uh, angels saying that they bring good news of great joy for all the people, and so uh, we are glad that all of you are here tonight, um, and Uh, We have found Providence Church uh, a great place to grow, connect with God, and connect with other people, and so I just want you to know that this is a place you can do that uh, at any time. Um, I want to tell you uh, this evening about uh, a passion that I had as a a kid. My favorite thing when I was, uh, I don't know, 10, 11 years old was collecting baseball cards, so this is like Go back with me to the early 90s, if you will. And back then, it was sort of a big deal for uh, boys to collect baseball cards. And so I love my baseball card collection, and I spent all this time pouring over it and memorizing the statistics on the back and, you know, keeping my cards safe. But there was this one card that I, that I wanted, uh, one card that was not a part of my collection, and the card was a 1989 Upper Deck, that's the brand, 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr., 
rookie card. It was sort of like the iconic card of my generation. I'd never even seen the card uh, except in a magazine, but I wanted that card. I would, I would think about that card. I would imagine it, you know, in my collection. And so one day I was over at my neighbor's house. His name was Nathan. And Nathan was a, was a bit older than me. He was in high school. He drove a four-wheeler. He worked with livestock. He was kind of like the coolest guy, you know, on the street. It's the early 90s in Wilson County. You, you, you'd have to just picture it if you weren't here. Um, and he had this amazing baseball card collection. He kept it in the, this three-ring binder with these protective plastic sleeves. And so I'm at his house, and I'm flipping through Nathan's binder, and I see the card. He's got it. 1989 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr. rookie card. And I was like, you have the 1989 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr. rookie card? And he's like, yeah, man, that's my best card. And I'm like, well, no, Dutch, your best card, man. It's the best card in the whole world. Um, so I was passionate about the card. And um, I decided that I would make a trade. That's what we did back then. We trade cards. And I laid all my favorite cards on the trading block. And it, it's like as when I was doing it, I knew and he knew that I had nothing that could equal that card. No trade. And so that Christmas, I don't even think I asked my parents for the card. It's not something you could just go find or get at the mall or whatever, but it's like, that's what I wanted. And that Christmas, Christmas Eve, I was at uh, my parents' house, because that's where I lived. I was 12. <laughs> I was in sixth grade, uh, hanging out at my parents' house. Uh, my parents' house now, you know. Um, so I'm at my parents' house, Christmas Eve. My family's over. We're exchanging gifts, and I hear a four-wheeler come up my driveway. I knew it was Nathan. And so I go out, and he won't come in. It's like this cold night, and I walk out to him, and he has this strange look on his face, and he hands me this plain white envelope, and I'm guessing we're exchanging Christmas cards or something at this time, not our normal custom, and I open up the envelope, and inside the envelope is the 1989 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr. rookie card. And I couldn't believe it. And I looked at Nathan's face, and it's like, he couldn't believe it either. (laughs) And I have kept this thing with me since that day. I keep it with me in my office. Look, don't touch. Uh, (laughs) And so Nathan's in my driveway, and I just just hug him, right? Now, Nathan's 15. He he works with livestock. He's wearing Carhartt. He doesn't hug, you know? (laughs) But I just hugged. He had his arms outstretched, and I just hugged him. I couldn't believe this thing that I knew I had no way to get on on my own, he had just given to me. And Nathan and I never talked about it, the hug or the card or anything. (laughs) But make no mistake, as you hear the story tonight, the shepherds, they were longing for something. There was something they wanted. There was something their hearts were telling them that they couldn't get on their own. Now, probably that night, they were just wanting the night to be over or you know, to go eat after work was done. Or maybe there was a 12-year-old as a part of the shepherds who had some kind of boy-like dream like I had for some kind of thing. But in the story, they represent to us the people of God who are waiting, the people of God who are holding out hope for something, that, that God would come into their mess, come into the brokenness, and send a Savior. They knew it was the thing that they couldn't do on their own. And so the shepherds kind of represent the questions that we just sang. Do you feel the world is broken? Right, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? Yeah, we're shepherds. We work at night. You know? They represent the questions that we all hold in a broken world. The angels show up to them unexpected, and they say, today in your town has been born to you the Messiah, the King. 
He has come. And we picture the shepherds like wiping the sleep out of their eyes, you know, trying to understand this message. They're like, it's a baby boy. That's the answer. He's in Bethlehem. And you are to go and see him. The shepherds receive this message. And I don't know, like the world is broken. Y'all can feel it, right? I'm talking like I'm, I'm in like the present tense now. The world is broken. We need a savior. You need a savior. And so we kind of live in that wrestling and that, 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 those moments of like, I need something that I can't get on my own. And so I'm just asking you tonight, here you've come, Christmas Eve Eve, I'm just asking you, would you believe tonight? Would you believe in Jesus? Would you believe that there is something God has done and is doing that can meet that need, that longing, that ache, that brokenness, that grief, that darkness, that God has done something and is doing something right now. Would you embrace him? Even if you're surprised by the thought of that, we're lighting a candle, Jesus is here, what are we talking about? Even if it's just sort of surprising, would you embrace him tonight? Well, the shepherds embraced it. They didn't completely understand what was going on, but they said, if God has come to my town, then I'm going to town. And the shepherds ran into the town and they found a baby boy. And they started telling everybody that the baby boy was the king, that the baby boy was the long-awaited Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. That's why uh, we're hoping for for Nicaragua. You know, you saw the video. It's, it's just a part of us trying to live into the story that there are people who, uh, they send us, they're aching and they're longing for water. They send us messages, when's the water going to come? And so it's just a small thing that we're trying to do to say we want uh, God to come into that town. We want God to come and meet that ache and that longing. The Ready Initiative, if you've been around here a while, I mean, that's something we've been working on since day one, to be a church that doesn't just come and gather in a room, but believes that the people outside of the walls, like the kids in the schools, are important to God. And so we want to go into the brokenness. We want to go where there's hungry kids, where there's kids who have addicted parents, where there's kids who are being abused, where there are kids who just need somebody to read to them. There are kids who just need somebody to eat lunch with them. Like, we want to go into our town and say, God has come for you. God has come into our town. Pastor Mark and I were at Mount Juliet Middle School last Sunday afternoon with a bunch of you, hundreds of people from our community. We were there for a prayer vigil for this little boy uh, who was tragically killed in the Christmas parade. His name's Rowan. And we gathered with the community and we prayed for his family, and we prayed for his teacher and his Cub Scout buddies and his Cub Scout leader, and it was just, we cried, right? And we cried out to God, and there was this sense, this feeling in me, you know, that, that, that our community was in that place. We know that we need something that we can't come up with on our own. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And so the reason I'm talking about tonight is we actually lit candles at Mount Juliet Middle School on the front lawn, and we held our candles together. And we didn't say this, but it's just what I felt, you know, in that moment. It was like we were saying, we still, like, we're broken, God. We still believe in a light that's greater than any darkness. And so on that afternoon, we had to come together and hold our candles together and say, we still believe in a light that's greater than any darkness. And our only hope on the front lawn of Mount Juliet Middle School with those candles 
And the only hope tonight in a church building where we're going to hold candles is the little boy. That's why you're here. The little boy. And he is the Messiah. And he is the Lord. And he is the King. And he has come into our town and he has come for us. Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, is the hope of the world and the hope of our city. And he is the very thing your heart is longing for. So embrace him tonight. Embrace him and live. Embrace him and live. We'll come to this table in a moment that's set with bread and juice. It represents Christ's body and his blood given for us. That Jesus has come to earth in flesh, walked our paths, seen and and experienced all that we've seen and experienced, died on the cross, and then three days later was risen from the grave. And I invite you in just a moment to come forward and receive communion as a way of embracing Jesus. Before we do that, I want to invite you to say some words with me, some ancient words that help us prepare for such a holy meal. They'll be up on the screen, and I'll say the first words and invite you to respond back in the bold. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. I invite you to say with me, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let us pray. God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Amen.